Leading water where we need it has never been easy. Building dams and water towers, digging ditches and laying underground piping. However, with advancing climate change, holding water away from our cities might prove far a larger challenge this century. Coastal cities cannot prevent rising seas, which in combination with extreme rainfall could cause entire regions to halt. London, New York, Shanghai, Mumbai, Lagos, Rio de Janeiro and a myriad of other coastal cities share, apart from the pandemic, yet another turmoil in common, and that of climate adaptation. On the other hand, areas that are dry already are getting even drier. Urban resilience and climate adaptation shall thus be discussed next with our dear guest, Michal Schuster, Varvin's business manager for the segment Stormwater Systems and Climate Resilient Cities. My name is David Yerod, and I bid you welcome to the Waves of Varvin, a podcast about water, sanitation, good piping, and smart solutions for an urban future. Michal, warm welcome. Yeah, first of all, hello, David, and thanks for the invitation. So it was uh, almost impossible to resist, you know, that uh, very exciting <laughs> topic. I have a first question for you. With rising seas and intensifying weather patterns, both wet to wetter and dry to drier, it almost sounds that you must have an easy job. The business case is certainly there. What do you say to that? It sounds like an easy part to do the job because the overarching awareness is increasing, you know, amongst different stakeholders. But, you know, on the other hand, um, awareness does not automatically mean that there is a sense of urgency in everywhere. We see front-running cities and private investors open to provide funding for pilots um, or even create the budget for future needs. But there is still a large, very large part of the building sector that is working with established standards. And that, from my understanding, is not suitable uh, of being future-proof. Can I ask on that matter, what private investors do we see and what are they interested in investing in particular? Of course, you can imagine real estate um, companies renting out properties. They try to achieve the highest leads or dream standards um, for mm. attracting the right clients for spending money for a state-of-the-art property. And this is what creates value for them. So they would be amongst the front runners in um, being interested in investing into future-proof technologies. That's amazing. Anything to add on the topic of whether it is easy or not easy to be a business developer within climate adaptation? Yeah, I mean, I would probably take the other angle to it, and which uh, relates a bit to the human being behavior, I would say. Typically, when you have some heavy events, like uh, take the flooding in Germany back in 2021, that was a uh, disaster, you suddenly saw then extreme um, overarching um, activities. And um, then, unfortunately, it is again followed by a slowdown in having a fast momentum in moving forward. And then it falls back to the standards and regulatory work. And this is a very long and heavy process and takes a lot of time time that we do not have with ticking climate change. Are the politicians to be persuaded and perhaps catastrophes that have to predate the only way out of this? Or do you see any other stimulations to make climate adaptation and redesigning of our cities happen faster? 
I personally believe that the key is the political um, platform and the governments because they define the standards, you know, how the construction industry uh, should work mm -hmm. to be compliant. But you have all kind of different, um, you know, impact factors that create a different level of awareness. I mean, think about the geographical exposure. I mean, you have countries or cities that have a higher flood risk or a higher or lower rainfall event. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or you have the political and governmental situation in countries. You know, um, some commit to a green agenda and can be a front runner. Others are staying away from it. It also depends on the local infrastructure. I mean, you have aging sewer networks and different status there. And there's always a competition between a hidden sewer network and a school or an elderly home or social home that needs to be built in, in a governmental um, area. And then last but not least, I would say also the wealth of countries and cities where you have simply um, the level of money, which is um, differently distributed. To me, it's a question of awareness, ability and willingness to act. Yeah. Have you yourself had experience with working with the frontrunners, like you said, that are committed to green development and also to those who are absolutely the anchor people dragging the society behind? Yeah, you know... Um, When looking at our strategy to move uh, urban climate resilience a step forward, we, of course, had first to understand with whom can we work together to engage with the front runners, the, the earlier adapters. Um, and we looked at all kind of different sources of information, being it, let's say, the HDI um, UN Human Development Index. Um, there is an index called ND Gain Index dealing with that. The World Bank Statistics, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals or environmental performance indexes. So you can name quite a lot, which when you all put that together, it helps you to create a bit of an awareness indicator where you find high level of urban climate resilience needs and where you find it on a, on a lower level. And just to name a few countries, I mean, if you take Canada or the Netherlands, Denmark, Singapore, they would be all examples of really much mature countries to look for solutions of dealing with rainwater on a circular scale. And then, on the other hand, you have countries like Brazil, Thailand, Romania as just examples for a lower maturity of awareness. So I would say we try to focus on the cities that have a high awareness so that we can have an open dialogue to move forward. And what particular measures or design steps are the cities interested in? Is it protection against 100-year extreme weather event Or is it uh, raising the riverbeds or is it protection against droughts? I mean, I would say it, again, depends where a city or a project is located. Mm -hmm. But usually clients, municipalities, they have an interest to understand, you know, how can I minimize a flood risk, being it for a 100-year event or 200-year event, how to make, um, let's say, the, the reasons for flooding, like clocked gullies in the street, simply easier to maintain or maybe also link to digital solutions to make it earlier noticeable that there is probably a clogging ahead. Do you as a business developer ever find yourself in a situation where your counterparts, no matter if it's a city hall representative or a water company manager, seriously underestimate the risks with insufficient climate adaptation? I mean, do you literally speak to people who have no idea what you are talking about? 
I would not say it's it's that black and white. We talk a lot to people that stick to the um, agreed standards, yeah. And agreed standards usually are based on a hundred-year rain event. But coming, you know, from the history on how it was calculated, and and nowadays where you have more short and heavy rainfalls, um, mm. and that's simply much more often, it puts the infrastructure on a new challenge because you know the the designed infrastructure with the guiding principles simply cannot cope with that. Yeah, and and that will, as a consequence, then lead to flooding, but also to contamination of of sewer mixing with rainwater, and then it might be poured into open rivers without, um, let's say, having the right water quality. But you also have the other extreme. I mean, um, it's not only too much water; it's also, like you mentioned in your introduction, I mean, too little water. I'm living in Germany, so there you see that um, the governments uh, tell you you should not water the garden, you should not wash the car. I mean, things you can probably easy let go, but take farmers, they need to irrigate. Yeah, And mm. um, without, they cannot predict a clear um, outcome of the business. Then you, again, need to subsidize part of the society because of yeah these uh, fluctuating incomes. You live in Germany, like you mentioned, and have lots of interactions with the Netherlands and the Nordics. Can you please share some of your observations regarding proactive action you've seen in the past years? And also some really bad examples uh, when cities have seriously mismanaged the question of urban resilience and climate adaptation. Yeah, let me share just two examples um... One actually very bad example. So there was a, a massive flooding summer 2021 where more than 130 people lost their lives and um, it has caused damages in a range of more than 12 billion uh, euros, which was unseen in Germany and that had to be covered by the insurances. So an extremely bad uh, event. And now you can say in a mature country like Germany that take care of, of crisis management upfront and have for sure the money for doing certain investments, it seems that all simply failed, you know, from certain politicians having, let's say, the right processes in place. In this respect, it, it caused, you know, a massive, let's say, impact. And that shows that if that was a 100-year or more than 100-year event, uh, we were not prepared for that. Mm. Take another positive example, so and I would now pick the Netherlands, where there was just um, a, a project called Resilio um, in mm -hmm. Amsterdam, to basically convert around 10,000 square meter of flat roofs into so-called smart blue and green roofs. Mm -hmm. This was an, an initiative from many stakeholders, being at the city, being at universities, being at the private sector, to really make sure that with a blue and green roof, you have an impact on storing water, cooling down the city uh, due to the vegetation. And Amsterdam has identified that the city in principle would have 12 square kilometer of flat roofs available. And if you could convert that, that would be a huge area that would help the city of Amsterdam to be more climate resilient. And that's an excellent measure to take, actually. Now I would like to talk about what does Vavin do actually to prevent divorce from happening and bite us more time to securely transform our living environments to withstand climate change? Yeah, that is a good question. And um, we talk here about a big, big challenge in the world. And uh, obviously, we as Vavin we try to contribute because there is not the single solution that will address it all. But what we do and where we can help is to have the right way of collecting water, being it at roofs or at streets, 
To infiltrate it means bringing it back into the ground or reuse the water, being it on a blue and green roof, for example, or for toilet flushing or for applications where we feed trees in the in the street, um, in public spaces. We treat water, so we make sure that, for example, heavy metals will not get back into the uh, water cycle, and with that we protect the environment. When you say we, do you mean in combination with the customer, maybe a water company that is already installed the product and operated, or does these value creations take place on the product level that Vavin actually creates in factories? I think it's a combination also of both because, you know, we are moving from a traditional industry 10 years ago where it was a pipe and a fitting to system solutions. And we reach now a level where also digital solutions offer a part of the solution. And that's where you, of course, work very closely together with the client to operate and manage systems afterwards. Cool. Is there something else that's missing that the governments or municipalities should be aware of and the housing associations or perhaps even the owners of small villas and small houses? Vavin can offer solutions from single family homes where you might uh, on your own property then um, infiltrate rainwater to, to keep the water you know, at the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, an example, uh, in Germany, you need actually to pay for rainwater that you discharge into the sewer system. So there is a business case next Mm -hmm. to an environmental case. But we also then go to mega logistics centers, airports, public spaces, and large uh, networks. So that means we can basically offer solutions in that respect in all directions. And um, you mentioned if something would be missing that we could offer. And I think the journey for urban climate resilience has only started, I would call it. Um, mm-hmm. So that means we are a company on the move. We always search for new solutions that will make life easier. And, um, and technology is also evolving. And we have only started to make things more smart. So the offer will get expanded. Is that what you're suggesting? Exactly. In a heavily digitized world, not even a sewage pipe stays unlocked and silent for long and soon will be propped up with sensors. How has Vavin reacted upon the digitization trends? Nowadays, we think of sensors and data to help, let's say, the asset owners to manage their properties in the best possible way. So we are on the move. We made first steps into that direction. I mentioned already the uh, management for blue and green roofs mm-hmm. and also for below ground tank systems where you store water or you infiltrate water. So these are connections then used to reuse of rainwater. That is where we see Yeah, demand for um, automation and also digitalization. And then, I mean, uh, beside that, we are active in multiple pilots to understand what value customers truly are looking for. Because let's also face it, not everyone already shouts for digitalization. So still a way to go. (laughs) Confirmed. I would say that BIM and fully digitally designed projects are still the peak of the pyramid rather than the base of it. You mentioned that Vavin offers both design services, physical products. Um, Is there any particular benefit of hosting both of these values under one roof? Yeah, I believe if you um, have intensive knowledge, just to pick out BIM, for example, then you need to confront yourself heavily with the design needs and the architectural work that your customers have. And with this understanding, it should also help you to design better products. 
And therefore, I think the combination um, makes us probably a very good player in this field. And with this step, it also helps to save resources in, in every step of the value chain. And this, in the end, is helping the environment and to create the circular economy. This has been an excellent interview, Mikael. I have one final question for you. Uh, is there anything in particular that you are proud about with Varvin? Well, uh, <laughs> good question. I think, uh, you know, I'm extremely proud uh, to be part of this journey because it feels um, to be in the center spot of, you know, what is um, making the world spinning around. Um, mm -hmm. And it addresses a significant challenge. And, and I can feel that the whole team is working for a purpose, for a core business model that is helping the environment. And to be honest, I believe this kind of business model cannot fail. It's maybe a, a big purpose, but uh, we can feel that in our everyday's work. This was Michal Schuster, Varvin's business manager for the segment Stormwater Systems and Climate Resilient Cities. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this program about urban climate resilience and that we have teased your curiosity enough for you to stay in tune for more solutions that Varvin has for urban development in the future. My name is David Yerod, and I look forward to have you with us in the next episode that will be about a digital customer journey at Varvin. We will take a look at how we do building information modeling, digital design, and how you can benefit from that. So please do subscribe, help this podcast grow, and keep surfing the waves of Varvin. Hear you next time.